0: You are listening to the Small Lager Hunting Podcast, the podcast dedicated to just anything and everything that is the white-tailed deer. You know me. I'm Ty Miller, your host, founder, and the voice of SmallEagerHunting.com. You are the ones that made this turn from a blog to a website to a YouTube channel to everything that it is. So hopefully you find this new venture this new consistent delivery of information via the podcast useful but less chatting on the intro more chatting on the topic let's get this episode started let's talk white tails
1: hey guys Welcome to another episode of the Small like Hunting Podcast, and this is unfortunately just a check-in. Um, I have two guests lined up that hopefully are going to be able to get on and talk about food plots at some point, even if we don't get to them um, in the next week or so, which I'm starting to think schedule-wise, it's just not going to work. Um, I am lining up a lot of postseason discussions, and we are going to tackle a lot of stuff, um, from their opinions on food plot implementation, designing of food plots, shapes of food plots, um, seed selection, why it's important, um, the type of seed, why it's important, depending on what your planting style is, how you go about seeding it, um, and what are the different times to do that. But I wanted to do this episode just kind of as a quick uh, check-in. And I'm just gonna call it, you know what I'm doing now, and uh, so what I'm doing now is dealing with limited time. <laughs> I know that seems to be a reoccurring theme, um, but it's just a, it's just a fact of life. You know, today today is actually Dude's Day as I call it. Uh, I have Fridays off with my job. I work four really long days in order to have Fridays off, and I get to watch Little Man. So it is a extreme blessing, but it's not like you can really go and do stuff with a sub one-year-old, so we're getting ready to celebrate his first birthday here soon. We're extremely pumped about that, and uh, who knows, you know, in, in, in future years, he'll be able to tag along, checking stands, um, uh, checking cameras at least, maybe even enjoy riding around as I overseed or uh, broadcast fertilizer with the four-wheeler or whatever. We'll have to figure out something, but, you know, I have limited time right now. Um, we still have not got any food plots in the ground. Um, it's August 21st as I'm recording this, and not a single food plot is in the ground. Um, we do have clover in a variety of different locations, both at the Swamp property and my, my 22. Um, those are really the only two main places we have this year. After losing um, a bunch of property, options have scaled back dramatically with the homestead property selling. Um, my parents are moving out in, I think, two weeks. It's going to be a bittersweet moment, two to three weeks. Um, river bottom property has shrunk. I've got to get there and check stand, uh, may hang another stand there at some point, but we've got one stand there. Um, it's a good option depending on, uh, we're not going to be able to get a food plot in there this year. We just didn't have the time, but we're going to talk to them about locking in for the future, maybe putting in a plot again out there. Um, once we know how everything's moving out there, but right now it's, uh, I actually finally did do some inventory. So right now, uh, what I'm doing is planning my food plots out. Um, what's gonna go where? How much I need? My garage is turned into a mini feed shack right or a seed shack right now. Um, and along those lines, let's chat for a second. You know, my seed selection. Um, what do I do for food plots? And let's talk about specific seeds. And then I'll talk brand if you want. Um, I know some people are very familiar with, with with brands. Some people, that's the only thing they care about. They don't even know what's in the bag. All they know is, hey, I'm a pro staff member or field staff member of blah, blah, blah. And they have the greatest seed ever. Oh, really? Well, why is it so great? What's in it? It's the greatest seed ever. <laughs> but... Uh, Let's, let's talk specific seeds. So typically speaking, my food plots fall into one of three categories. And this is fall food plots. So let's exclude, you know, I love uh, clover, clover chicory. Many of you guys found me actually once uh, Cicero and I showed up in the Real World Wildlife Products uh, pamphlet or newsletter thing this year that they did um, where I discuss my love for the clover chicory blend. It's the backbone of my food plots. Um, or food offerings that I supplement n- nature with. I have uh, one. I have one really main section, um, and then two other smaller sections with clover, chicory. That that stuff does amazing. It is you know one of the first things to green up. It's one of the longest, easiest to maintain food sources, and the deer love it. But what I'm going to talk today on this episode is specifically to my fall food plots, and I have three basic varieties. One is a cereal grain. Um, centric mix. The second is a brassica centric mix. And the third is a mixture of the two weighted more so to cereal grains than brassicas. Um, And what I mean by that is, so my main, um, sorry, I'm typing something in right now. My main cereal grain mix has incorporated into it rye, oats, wheat, and winter peas. Um, Those are the the, the three cereal grains and then the peas as well. I personally love rye. So while I buy a bag, a buck on the bag, a brand bag, whatever you want to call it, I do buy a mix that has those four things in it. And it's not exactly 25, 25, 25, 25, but it's basically a quarter of each. Um, I personally though, as many of you guys have discovered, am absolutely a a very big advocate for the use of winter cereal rye in food plots. Um, it is a tremendously powerful seed. It will, um, Make sorry, I'm just trying to find the seed tag because now I'm doubting myself what the actual mix is, but I don't have it laying around. I usually have a binder here by my uh, recording studio, but, anyways, cereal rye is aleopathic, um, and what that means is it's actually going to inhibit weed growth around it. And the reason why I really like that is the next year, you know, I don't do a lot of spring soybean plots or whatever this next year. I am going to start incorporating buckwheat into my plans just in order to, uh, Yes, deliver food. It's a low desirable food source, but buckwheat will do a great job of inhibiting uh, weed growth and I can control weeds because it's real quick to leaf out, shade out uh, the understory and hopefully lessen the number of weeds that I have to terminate into the fall. Um, we may even incorporate or, or, or try to see if we can't master the art of uh, once the buckwheat is brown and standing seed into it, roll over it with a, with a we don't have a, uh, a terminating crimper, but we could use a cultipacker, um, roller, whatever we have, guys have had great success, especially when the buckwheat is brown and, 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 and basically standing straw, you can roll over to snap it off and then it'll be a good mulch um, and, and weed barrier for the seeds that you sowed to grow through. So we are thinking about doing that, but I love rye because it's one of the first quickest things. It actually starts greening up and growing, at least in my experience on my plots, before even my clover. Um, It it is incredible how soon and how quick um, overseeded rye plots or plots with rye begin to look green in the very early stages of spring or late stages of winter. So I really do it. And another reason why I love rye is say you get your food, you know, right now I was going to plant food plots last week and then I was going to plant them this weekend. We've had no rain. No rain is predicted. It looks like finally this next week we may get some rain. So I may take a Wednesday or a Thursday off or Friday. I may have to, uh, give up dudes day and take them to grandma's so I can get some food plots in. But if you have food plot failure, uh, winter rye has been shown to germinate in soil temps that are in the upper thirties. So it is very cold tolerant and see in uh, being able to grow. Um, it just does an awesome job. And what that means is basically I, I'm not uncomfortable seeding this stuff into October, especially even a warm October. Um, I think the latest that I have overseeded it was October 18th or something like that. And it was starting to green up by Halloween, and uh, you know those deer were hammering that food. Uh, great, great spot was actually the spot that I killed my 10-point uh, buck out of last year. We had a blessing of a portion of the farmer's field unable to be planted, and we were able to make a big food plot there, and that thing just failed. It was a sandier soil. It didn't get rain after I, I planted it. Basically, only the shade areas got it, got got any germination. I went in there late and seeded just a ton of cereal rye. And uh, no buck on the bag, no nothing. I went to the local. We ordered at the local grain elevator, local ag store, and, been, and was like, we need 200 pounds of, of winter rye. And we overseeded it. And that stuff was getting ate to the ground, even in the early stages of when winter was falling in and it was getting cold and snow was falling. Um it was incredible to watch the deer just absolutely annihilate that stuff. And it was mainly just a winter rye plot. So my cereal grain plots like that will be supplemented with uh, cereal rye. I'll typically say I'm doing a half an acre. Um, the bags that I get are, are to do a half an acre. They're a 25-pound bag. That's not heavy enough for me. I will usually add another 10 to 15 to 20 pounds of uh, cereal rye Into it, and the main reason for that is I'm doing a broadcast method. Sometimes I'm not even going to go back through with a light disc. If I'm going back through with a light disc, I don't have to worry about that. Um, I I don't, then I'm good. You know, doing it that way, typically that bag will be fine. So, the second plot is more of a brassica uh, blended plot for me. This is going to be a location that I am going to have great success over in the late season. Now, granted. I have discovered lately that the deer in my area just absolutely annihilate the radish tops. There is a stage, at some point it starts, when the temps drop down into the 40s and the 50s, not quite freezing yet, and to be honest with you, this is before the nitrates have dropped, because you always hear people say, oh, well, you got to wait for the sugars to rise or the brass, you know, the freeze to sweeten up the brassicas. Well, really what happens is the nitrate drop in them. And uh, so even before that though, when they turn on to these these greens, it is <laughs> it is impressive how fast they will eat them. But my mix, uh, basically, it does have a few oats in it, but it's mainly uh, tillage radish, or sorry, it doesn't have oats in it. Sometimes I will supplement it with oats, but it has it has a tillage radish, a purple top turnips, which everybody's kind of familiar with, uh, rape. Sugar beets are mixed in there, collards are in there, Um, different types, crimson clover, and then it has oilseed radish in there as well. So some tuber varieties, some smaller tuber varieties, some beets, and some non-tuber rape and collards are in there. So just strictly putting on greens, taproot down, no big tuber on some of those. That's my brassica blend. And I seed this, I know some people get carried away and they overseed they will seed uh, this stuff way too thick and then their bulbs don't get huge now granted if you have a mix like i'm using where it's not all tuber type stuff but say you just buy some purple top turnips and that's what you're going to plant you don't want to plant those things incredibly heavy because then the tubes aren't going to be able to get big these tops are going to be fighting each other the amount of fertilizer you're going to need in order to put on gigantic bulbs is just incredible and you don't want to do that. So make sure you're not seeding it way too heavy. Um, I kind of live with the rule of about if I'm doing pure purple top turnips, I'm eight pounds to eight, eight pounds to an acre, give or take. That's really thin. Most people are going to say, you know, uh, 12 15 pounds an acre, um, and and you'll get great. You know you'll get baseball sized tubers, maybe even a few softball size. But there's been years where I've grown uh, bigger than softball size. You know they're 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 borderline soccer ball almost, or, or a ball in between those two. I'm, I'm kind of blanking on size reference of what to call it, but yeah, they're just pretty incredible. So I I kind of rotate between those two, but then I always have. Real world calls it their deadly dozen. I was doing it well before I think they ever even started advertising the deadly dozen. Basically, what I was doing was I was taking my brassica-centric blends, and I was holding off on those, and I would do a cereal grain plot, whether that was just purely rye and wheat or oats that I would buy or the bag that I would I talked about that had wheat, rye, oats, and peas in it, I would do a regular plot of that, and then I would come back through and I would just give a dusting of, uh, just a dusting, and I'm sorry, I may have misspoke. Uh, Yeah, eight pounds to an acre for, uh, let me get my book out. If I'm using plot topper, Yeah, I misquoted. I'm so sorry. Um, Eight pounds to an acre is kind of the max. Actually, no, I didn't. Eight pounds to an acre, if it's purely uh, tubers, is really heavy. That's what most people recommend. I go a little bit lower than that. I go to about five to six pounds per acre. But anyways, where I was heading was I would do a cereal grain plot, and then I would come back through and I would do maybe a pound or two, just a dusting of brassicas, whether that be purple top turnips tillage radishes or a mix from uh, whatever company you like i'm a real world wildlife guy Um, and then basically you have an offering of both Uh, your tubers are going to get to a very decent size because they're not being inhibited a ton by the cereal grains and uh and i know some people will even plant the brassicas first Um, the problem with that is the nice thing is the bigger seeds in the cereal grains you know if you're going to If you're going to use a a cultipacker or lightly disc or whatever, you know, those bigger seeds, you can get away with that. And then you can just kind of dust the brassicas on top of it. Some people will actually dust the brassicas on top of it, and then they'll come back after the brassicas are starting to mature a little bit and then throw down cereal grain. Well, you either got to just broadcast on top of it or you got to actually drill that in. I've never had a big problem, especially with oats and rye germinating especially if you time it well with the rain. If you have peas and weed in there, those two, sometimes I have trouble with just basically broadcasting and unless conditions are, are really good and you get rain fairly quickly. If you do, any of those will germinate fairly good. Now I will say one thing that I've started doing the last year or two a lot more frequently is I will buy soybeans for the fall. I cannot get soybeans to grow, I don't have a big enough food plot, and I don't want to go to the expense of an electric fence as of yet, but I will put uh, soybeans in mixes within bow range of stands that I think I have a high probability of hunting in the early season. Main reason for that is the same reason why I enjoy having oats mixed in. And there are times like when I shot Cicero, that section along that clover plot that I was looking at that I had dissed up, I planted 100% just pure oats in there. I wanted something that was going to be much sweeter, quicker for the deer. I wanted early October to late October at the latest to be highly palatable and be attractive and oats are definitely that they're definitely much more so than the other cereal grains i just noticed that the deer hit them harder they hit them quicker and they hit them earlier so and typically if you have the same age oats wheat and rye together a lot of people claim and studies have shown that they'll go to the oats and eat the oats a little bit heavier so take that as you as you may so those are my three main plots. I'll have a cereal, I'll either have a cereal grain centric plot, a brassica centric plot, or a mixture of the two. Um, and you could lean that either direction. Most of the time, mine are cereal grains more so than the brassicas. But now, one thing I do always uh, come back and do is, you know, after we plant, say we plant in early September, I'll always come back in two to three weeks to plan on fertilizing, checking on the plot. Whenever I do that. I also bring along bushels of winter rye because I'm going to overseed my food plots, especially food plots that didn't look like they had great germination. Sections of it didn't have good germination. I am going to lay down, and I'm going to lay down extremely heavy uh, winter rye to eat up those spots. And uh, that is a tactic that I have been applying, and we have been having great success with. There are even there's you know I've been doing for a while now where even if a plot is looking really good. Um, got decent germination, I'll still overseed it with winter rye. Get that fresh growth in there. I know a lot of people, and I even do, especially after uh, last year, uh, witnessing what some fresh growth rye does in October. If you seed that in October, man, that late October, early November time period where that, that, that rye is an inch to three inches tall and lush and just very desirable for the deer, I'll tell you what that food plot turns on. And that is a dangerous thing to have. So keep that in mind. Um, I think that's all I got on food plots. Just wanted to share some of my brief uh, thoughts and and things. And like I said earlier, when we get some guests on in here, we'll talk about the shape of our food plots, the delivery of our food plots, why we put things the way we do, encircling your food plot, site blocking, um, fruit trees. How do you want to incorporate those? Um, A couple other things that I'm doing right now is... Making a game plan. There are a couple deer that we have multiple years of history on, and I am basically adding them to my spreadsheets. I've gotten kind of lazy with that in the past, but uh, you know, high rises a buck that I'm trying to get some tabs on. What were what are some of the correlations and consistencies in his movements uh, year to year? You know, they 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 are not a pattern because if they were a pattern, they'd be the easiest animal to kill in the world because patterns don't change they're called a pattern for a reason they repeat the exact same time in the exact same way in the exact same manner that's not what it is but i want i want correlations and consistencies over time of what their tendencies are and deer as they get older their tendencies grow stronger and stronger in my opinion year to year they become more predictable and i'm starting to put the pieces together on where he likes to be when he likes to be there and asking questions as to why maybe that is. So, and there's a couple other deer. Uh, there's Vilcus, there's Varkas. Um, Bertir is, is amazingly still alive. And uh, I doubt I have a chance at him. Just my inability to hunt uh, early. Uh, he, he, he just, he leaves very quickly in the year because he can't fight anymore. He can't breed anymore. So, once the testosterone starts flowing, he kind of hightails it out of there. But there's a couple of really, really, really nice deer at the swamp property that we're chasing. Uh, just some gorgeous bucks over there that we do have some movement patterns of them, at least from last year. And we'll see if I can discover what deer they were the year prior to that as I look back through some uh, historical data and evidence and look up whether underground is a great source um, for that when you're analyzing tendencies. You know, track the wind, what was the wind doing before the picture, pre-dawn wind, post-dawn wind, Um, what was the barometric pressure, what was the moon, what were all those things, what was the time of the year, track all those things. And you begin to see uh, connections and correlations and tendencies with certain factors in place as to what a deer does and why. So, I already went out there, checked every stand at the Swamp property, checked every stand at the New 22, Um, or the 22 and every stand has a lifeline except for the brand new one i got to remember to to take one out there when i plant um saw a frustrating and, and and i will i will close with my psa of the episode i guess you will say There was a uh, gentleman who came onto a forum I was on um, wanting everybody to watch his wife kill this buck, and it's a cool experience. Um, He does does a pretty decent job of, of capturing the hunt on film, and there was clearly a lot of excitement and everything, but... This person took the time to go to all the trouble of recording, wanting to have everybody and their brother and everybody they know watch and pat them on their back and all this stuff. But if you're going to do that, if you're going to put yourself out there, you got to have a safety harness on. you got to have a lifeline. you got you got to be taking safety seriously. Otherwise, you're just ignorant and teaching people to be ignorant in the future. Um, I'm not one to swear, but I think Dan Johnson of the Nine Finger Chronicles says it best. Wear your damn safety harness. I mean it's just it's just that simple, guys. There is no excuse, none whatsoever. Um don't be an idiot, don't be a fool. Go home to your family. If you don't have a family, be able to go out on Friday nights for the rest of your life, go to the bar like a low life. I'm just joking. I'm just giving you a hard time. But whatever there no matter if you're listening to this podcast. There is somebody that cares about you. Somebody that depends upon you at certain points. Wear it for them if you can't find in yourself to wear it for yourself. They're so cheap. Lifelines have become much more affordable. And I did not realize the the tense, like how tense my body is and such when I'm climbing a tree until I got a lifeline and I no longer felt that clenching nature that my body all my muscles firing hoping to make sure that I can get up there and get my safety harness strapped and now I'm attached the second I lift my first foot off the ground and I guarantee you if you start doing it you'll never look back because it it definitely adds a peace of mind to your hunt it adds uh, just an immense amount of safety to it and I know that I'm going to get to I'm going to get to see my son grow old um, at least in that capacity uh, because I, I made the right decisions. And I loved him enough to do so. So This has been just a quick check-in. Um, we talked about food plots. We talked about tree stands. We talked about some other stuff. I've got some awesome bucks. If you've got any cool bucks that you'd like to share with me, I always love looking at them. Um, I'll be sure to maybe share a couple on Facebook here soon. We've got some awesome uh, velvet images and even velvet videos. So, yeah. Get your cameras out there. Get your tree stands checked. Um, one crucial aspect guys that many people have forgotten. If you haven't done it already, um, get out there and get your access and entrance routes planned out. If you've got to walk through tall weeds, bushwhack a trail through it. Um, you want to touch as little as possible. I just raked and, and boot cleaned the, the one access to the one my favorite stand at my place and, uh, keeping it clean of sticks and debris as much as I can. Obviously they gather throughout the year, but, uh, Those entrance and exits can can and will change your entire season one way or another. I, I guarantee you that. So,
0: this is Ty. God bless, and good luck out there. As I already said before, thank you for listening to this episode of the Smaller Hunting Podcast. Hopefully, wherever you find yourself, private, public, big land, small land, new hunter or old hunter, there's something that you've learned for ultimately that's all I care about if you have any topic discussion ideas for the small acre hunting podcast be sure to email me at small at gmail.com be sure to like and subscribe to all the videos on youtube like and follow the facebook page check out the website from time to time and as always stay tuned for the next episode of the small acre hunting podcast god bless and good luck out there